Merry Christmas. I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, and I'll begin reading in verse 21. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. This is the Word of God. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Gracious God, we ask, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and what we are not make us. For your son's sake, we pray. Amen. His waiting was over. His anticipated advent had come. Promised Messiah has arrived. Put all the pictures away. The reality is here. All the types, shadows, symbols of the Old Testament find their fulfillment in this one. The salvation of God. Our main point this morning, beloved, main point is that God is faithful to his promises God always has been faithful to his promises, and he always will be faithful to his promises. Main point, God is faithful to his promises. The 
The greatest reformation of all time has taken place with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 9 calls Christ's coming the time of reformation. Greater than the reformation of Luther and Calvin, Jesus does more than recover and promote the doctrines of grace. He's the demonstration of God's grace. He's the word made flesh. The consummate expression of God's grace, unmerited favor to sinners. In that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, providing justification to be declared free from condemnation for all who come to him by faith. Gift, grace, mercy. That is Christmas, friends. Announced to us here by way of a song, the song of Simeon in what is the fifth of the infancy songs that attest to the glory of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Luke chapter 1 records three of these songs. There's the song of Elizabeth. Remember, she was bearing John the Baptist in her womb, and when she heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. There's the song of Mary known as the Magnificat, where she rejoiced in God, her Savior. That he's looked upon her lowly estate. That God is faithful to his covenant promises. He's faithful to his promises given to Abraham. There's Zechariah's prophetic psalm regarding the forerunner of the Christ, and that is John the Baptist. Zacharias was married to Elizabeth. John was their son. So there's a song there in Luke 1 from him. And then in Luke 2, we looked at last Lord's Day, the angel's proclamation, glory to God in the highest. And here now, the fifth song, the song of Simeon. And the theme of each song is the same. The theme? Salvation. Rescue. Deliverance. I mean, that's the theme of the entire Bible, is it not? If someone were to ask you, what's the Bible about? And you want to press it into one word? It's very simple. Salvation. Beginning to end. Salvation. Good news. That's what gospel means. Good news. Promised in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And the rest of the Bible is the unfolding of that promise. Fulfilled in this one the salvation of the Lord. And throughout history, we're given snapshots, that is, throughout the history of the Bible, we are given snapshots of salvation that foreshadows God's ultimate salvation. We go back to Genesis 6, for instance. When the wickedness of mankind was great, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil, continually, God called one by the name of Noah. Now, when we get to the New Testament, 2 Peter refers to Noah as a preacher 
of righteousness. So at this time, in other words, God was saying through Noah, if you will listen to my servant Noah, you will escape my wrath. If you will listen to my servant Noah, you will escape my enmity. For God is holy and just. There's the record of Israel's exodus from Egypt. As God's enmity, that is God's judgment, passed over all those who had the blood of an innocent lamb painted upon the door frames of their homes. The enmity of God, the wrath of God did not touch them. They passed safely through the Red Sea, salvation. They entered the promised land, picture of salvation, story of salvation, scene after scene throughout the Bible of deliverance time and time again. That is the reason we celebrate Christmas. Now, if you were to ask most people, friends, family, unbelievers, what is the reason for the season? They'll say something like this. Well, it's all about peace, love, and time with family. Now, we all embrace that, amen? Looking forward to that. We embrace that. We love that, but it's not true. That's not true. Costco customers in the parking lot prove otherwise. As they're gathering all this stuff for the family, it's anything but love and peace out there. My neighbor came over. She was standing in my kitchen yesterday. And she goes, man, I just got back from Costco. It's crazy. They're, these people are honking and yelling at old ladies. <laughs> Look, those are unrealistic expectations about unrealistic reunions with unrealistic songs being played in the background. It's the most wonderful time <laughs> of the year. The reason for the season, many people claim, is a hopeful end to strife in the world and a hope for national and international peace. But anyone can stand on their moral soapbox, anyone can sit upon their moral high horse and say, let there be peace on earth. Y'all stop fighting. Politicians Put down your rockets and put down your weapons and take up unifying policies. Quoting, oftentimes, the preferred translation of Luke 2.14, peace on earth, goodwill toward man, and they just rip it out of context. That's not what Christmas is about. Now, that is a feel-good, non-threatening kind of Christmas. Amen? Where even a culture that rejects the Bible, rejects true Christianity, will temporarily give props to and embrace gentle, mild baby Jesus so long as he's only cooing and cawing in the manger. Would you agree? A Santa Christ, as Ferguson puts it. You believe in Jesus Christ or Santa Christ? The moment 
that the man Jesus speaks with unparalleled authority, demanding something from us, he is rejected, and the same group that embrace baby Jesus say now, crucify him. Kill him. Exposing once again the hypocrisy of Christmas time participation. The true message of Christmas is that Jesus is Savior. The Savior came into this earth bringing and providing peace, not governmental peace. Rest assured, that will come at the end of the age. Not political harmony. Not even, not even familial peace. Peace within your families. The needed peace that he brought is vertical, not horizontal. And who needs this peace? All descendants of Adam. Every human being needs this peace, vertical peace, because there's nothing in us, there's nothing about us, there's nothing around us that can do anything to change the fact that we are all, in and of ourselves, at enmity with God, at war with God, and in case this is news for you, he's at war with you outside of the peacemaker, Jesus Christ. But we're buddies. No, you're not. <sighs> enmity signifies an enemy. Enemies who are at war, and therefore, they have no peace. And what's the war? Perfect holiness up and against utter sinfulness. That's the enmity. Genesis 3, 15. And unless heaven breaks into earth, and you come to repentance and faith in him, that is faith in him, just not I have faith, Faith in faith. No, faith in him and the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's why he was born until you embrace him. And that truth transforms you and assures you that you have peace with God. You will remain under God's wrath. You will remain at war with God. Now, you will not hear that message as you walk through University Town Square, as Karen Carpenter sings, the most wonderful time, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Amen? That's because it's offensive. But it saves. It saves sinners from God's wrath. It removes the enmity. This is why we preach the gospel. That's the bad news. Therefore, the good news is really good. Really good. Simeon's song reminds us that you are not all right in yourself. You are not all right by yourself. The story of salvation is God doing for us what we are patently unable to do for ourselves. And that is to remove this enmity and to be saved from the consequence of our sin that ends enmity with God. You can do nothing about that in yourself, by yourself. 
This is the good news of what God did in the incarnate son. That is what Christmas is about. Now, the song of Christmas hope fulfilled, that's the title of the message, the song of Christmas hope fulfilled results in, okay, there's three points here that we'll look at, results in gospel peace, gospel peace, verses 25 to 29, gospel peace, by way of gospel power, verses 30 to 33, through gospel pain, verses 34 and 35. Gospel peace, gospel power, gospel pain. Let's back up to verse 21. And at the end of eight days, okay, Jesus was born. We looked at that last Lord's Day. After the end of eight days, he was circumcised. That is according to the law, Jewish law. He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb, from which Mark read this morning. Jesus was a very common name in this day. Therefore, when you read the Gospels, we read about Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. But his name is not, just not for sake of identity here. His name becomes a mission. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means God saves. God saves, for only God can save. And then in verse 22, when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to pre present him to the Lord. Now, this purification, under the old covenant, contact with blood required purification. Now, although it purifies by way of sacrifice and ultimately purifies uh, in Christ, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, until then... It required a time of separation and purification. So after that time of purification, they, Jesus, who's carried by Mary and Joseph, they bring him to be presented in the temple and with a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And this sacrifice of thanksgiving was acceptable for the poor. And notice it was a pair of turtle doves. Joseph and Mary were poor. The law required not, not a sheep or a goat or a bull for the poor, but a pair of turtle doves, and here they are. Enter Simeon, verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So he's righteous and devout. Now, that, that's a relative term, beloved, for a believer. He is not sinless, nor is he righteous in the sight of God in and of himself. This simply means he was a true believer. Notice the Holy Spirit was upon him, meaning he had wisdom that was beyond him. He's devout. He serves. The Spirit was upon him deeply devoted, he's obviously an elderly man, and he was a layman within the congregation of Israel. This man, in other words, was a true Israelite. Not merely religious, an unbeliever like the Pharisees, he was a true Israelite, he was a true believer. And God, somehow, someway, had given him special revelation 
revealing the fact that he would not die until he lays his eyes on God's promised Messiah. So Simeon was waiting, looking, anticipating the arrival of this promised Messiah. Now everyone's looking for something. You all look to the future. We all look to the future. Some look to the future with fear, trepidation. Some look with anxiety. And hopefully, being in Christ, we look to the future with hope. Hope. Notice, Simeon was waiting for the the consolation of Israel. Consolation, comfort. We, we, We think of the word console, When we think of consoling someone, we think of the the effort to minimize their suffering in times of trouble, to to empathize, to sympathize. But here, this is much deeper than that. The consolation of Israel, this means making of things right. He was looking for the one who would make things right, looking for and longing for the consolation of Israel. This is another title given to Jesus. God's consolation. So here he is waiting, anticipating. Think about this. Simeon was thinking this. I know because the, the scriptures declare there's a king coming. I know because the scriptures declare there's a priest coming. There's a prophet coming. And in, in, in somehow or another, God is going to blend all these together. A, a powerful king, a powerful prophet, and a powerful priest. That is a ruler, and, and one who preaches and proclaims, and a priest who represents us. Somehow, some way, God is going to mesh together in one person these three offices. That's what I'm looking for. The prophet, priest, and king promised. The Old Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures declared this. He says, I'm looking, I'm waiting, and I'm watching. And God promised me I will not die until I see the consolation of Israel. So here you have a man who was led by the Spirit of God, who was taught by the Word of God, and was obedient to the will of God. Right here, Simeon. And therefore, he was privileged to see the salvation of God in a body. Friends, friends, it is essential for people to correctly see God's salvation in Jesus Christ as who he is before you see death. Many people see him as they so have decided in their minds to see him. Well, I say he's this. I don't believe he's the only way to God the Father. I believe he's one of many ways. Think again. Merry Christmas. Think again. Oh, I just say he's one of many gurus. Think again. It's essential. I don't believe he's God in the flesh. Think again. Think again. You die seeing him as you choose to see him, you will die without him, and you will pay for your own sins, and that's eternal hell. 
the most religious people of Israel, the scribes and the Pharisees, missed him. They rejected him because they refused to see him as who he was, the consolation of Israel. God who saves. They were caught up in ritualism. They were caught up in tradition. They were trapped in false religion. And they reject him and say, we'll see to it he's crucified. Unbeknownst to them, God's crucifixion of his son was the means to his end, the salvation of sinners who believe. There are many people in church right now. Merry Christmas, hallelujah, this is Christmas Eve. And people are going to church because of ritualistic tradition. And they're at enmity with God, and they don't realize they're at enmity with God, nor do they realize God is at enmity with them. They have no peace with God. They're misquoting scripture, hoping for horizontal peace, but there's no vertical peace. They're at war with God. But they're given to ritualism, traditionalism, churchiness, people-pleasing. Here's a man looking for consolation of Israel. See, Romans 8 is clear. The human mind, the carnal mind, is enmity against God. In our fallen condition, outside of God's grace, our mind is at enmity with God. And again, enmity signifies enemies who are at war and have no peace. God's holy, we're utterly sinful in and of ourselves, and we need a Savior representative. There's only one right here. This is why true believers have peace. Now, we're here this morning as believers, most of us, and we know that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, but we realize, because the scriptures declare it to be so, that we were at one time at war with God. Amen? Look at Ephesians 2. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature what? Children of wrath. By nature, that's what we are. Like the rest of mankind. And the two most beautiful words in the Bible combined together, notice, but God. But God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive. You don't make yourself alive. He makes you alive with Christ, for by grace, unmerited favor, you have been saved, saved from God's wrath by way of his grace, unmerited favor. Did you earn it? No, you can't earn it. You submit and bow down and receive the gift. The gospel of peace is not horizontal, political, social, or familial peace. It's vertical peace with Almighty God, your creator, with whom you have to do, whether you believe that or not. He was looking for this one. Verse 26. And... It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, and he came in the Spirit into the temple. 
And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, he blessed the name. He's holding salvation in his arms. The consolation of Israel, the, the one promised long ago, he's holding him and he says, Lord, now, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. According to what? According to what? The promises of God, the word of God, the Old Testament. My eyes have seen your salvation. So Simeon, he praises the name of God. And now this song, this is a hymn of joyful resignation. A joyful resignation. Notice the first word is now. That's the word noon. The word noon. Known in Latin as the nunc dimittis. Now dismiss me. Now dismiss. Allow me to die. Release me, for I have seen your salvation. I can depart in peace. I've held peace in my hands. I've held your peacemaker in my arms. Let me die. Now I can go. So to see Jesus as he is, my friends, is to see salvation and to die in peace. I said last Lord's Day, uh, one of the great saints of our day who's ministered to so many of us for so many, many years, R.C. Sproul went home to be with the Lord. And I often quote him, as you know, and one of the things I often quote is, um, I'm not afraid of death. Now, I, 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 I do fear uh, perhaps how I will die, but I do not fear death. You know, I don't know what way I'm going to die. Am I going to get stabbed? Or someone going to choke me to death? Am I going to drown? Am I getting a plane crash? I mean, you know, am I going to burn to death? I don't know. That scares me, but death itself does not. Because this one, this promised peacemaker, conquered sin and death. That's why he came. That's why we celebrate Christmas. So to see Jesus as he is, not as you make him up in your mind, is to see salvation and to die being at peace with God. And now having peace with God at this present moment, if you're in Christ. So those who trust in God, those who trust in his word, can live in and depart from this life in peace. He says, ah, I resign, I'm done, let me go. Noon, now I can die. Isn't it beautiful? Love it. Love it. Have you seen Christ as he is? Have you met Christ as he is? A better question. Has he met you? Do you reject him? Do you deny him? Do you say, well, I believe he's this, that, or the other? I beg of you. You're at war with God and you don't know it. And he's at war with you. Repent, change your thinking. And come to him by faith and you'll have peace with God. Salvation. Merry Christmas. So gospel power leads to gospel 
I mean, gospel peace, notice, next leads to gospel power, uh, the, the, the power of the gospel. Uh, again, verse 30, my, my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So this, this long-promised Savior, as far as Simeon is concerned, um, is, he's well-prepared for this day because he's been looking forward with hopeful anticipation. My eyes now, he says, have seen your salvation. Notice what we witness here is the power of prophecy fulfilled. 700 years before this day in the temple with this man Simeon, Isaiah the prophet said this, the Lord himself will give you a sign. God will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel. Meaning, God with us. Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us, for unto us, a, a child is born, unto us a son, a son is given. Okay, a, a child is born, infant, a son is given, infinite. An infant who's infinite, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of, Prince of Peace with God. I've seen your salvation. Lord, you can let me go. You can slay me seen your salvation. So this is the power of God's gospel to save, providing salvation. Okay, question, for whom? Verse 30, salvation, verse 31, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now, th this goes back, friends, to the Abrahamic promises that God made. And that is that through you, Abraham, and through your seed, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. Long ago promised. You know, the covenant promises of Israel were not for Israel alone. They were for Israel specifically. They were given to Israel first, but these promises would come through the nation of Israel and find their fulfillment by way of all peoples of the earth through this covenant people. Look at Isaiah 49.6. I will also give you as a light to, to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. So Israel, in other words, was the carrier of God's covenant promises. God's avenue of illumination to the nations. That's always been his plan. Verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory of your people Israel. Now, when we, when we read the, the word glory here, this does not mean intrinsic glory. That's the kind of glory God has in and of himself. He doesn't need you or me for that. He radiates with this glory. It's his and his alone. What he's referring to here is reflected glory. Israel is what the moon is to the sun. 
S-U-N. The moon doesn't generate any of its own energy. The, the sun gives off light. The moon reflects that light. Israel reflects the glory of God as his means of grace to the, to the nations. A light. Isaiah 60, we opened with it this morning. Look at it. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. So here, God's glory, God's glory rightly seen, is all wrapped up in this baby. Jesus. God saves the light of the world. God so loved the world without distinction. God so loved the world without distinction, he gave his son. Not just for Israel, for the nations of the world. So the message of the gospel, the good news of the gospel, is universal. It goes out to all people without distinction, amen? And we're not talking about universalism that all people will be saved. That's not true. The message goes out to all people. And God in his grace, by way of divine election, saves who he's going to save. Amen on the right? Throughout and to the left, amen. Merry Christmas. So in other words, the, the, the glorious good news of salvation transcends racial, social, and all cultural barriers as promised long, long ago. Here he is, consolation of Israel. So that's, that's the gospel. It goes out to all peoples, all nations, to be saved, question, saved from what? From what? Now, the Jewish people in Jesus' day, you know, they thought if only the political structures of their lives could be sorted out and, and these Roman um, oppressors uh, could be vanquished, well, then we can live in peace and in tranquility. That's how the Jews thought in, in Jesus' day. Today, people think of salvation as rescue from social, economic, and political collapse. Hey, you know, I have poor health. Tell me about that, Jesus. I'm having financial difficulties. Tell me about this Jesus. I'm having all kinds of horizontal problems. Tell me about this Jesus. And as soon as things get better, forget about Jesus. That's what we do left to ourselves. I did that for years. And I grew up in the church. I deserve the depth of hell. The depths of hell. But what? but God. We need salvation from God's judgment that is due to our sinful rebellion against him. You know, sinful mankind, all of us, have actually defiled God's world. In a series of prophecies against the nations, again, Isaiah, listen to what he says regarding the inhabitants of the earth. And notice 
Um, if this is Isaiah 24, you can just listen to this. This is referred to by scholars as, as, as the little apocalypse. Isaiah 24 and 25. And, and the prophet here applies language concerning a breach of the covenant, not to Israel with whom he made covenant, but he speaks here with regard to the nations. Listen to what he says. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws. They have violated the statutes. They have broken, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth. Think about this. To Israel, a, a, a light and messenger to the nations, the same prophet Isaiah says this. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have given his, has hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Your hands are defiled with blood. That is, you have murderous hearts, as Jesus applies it in the Sermon on the Mount. Your fingers are filled with iniquity, that's immorality. Your lips have spoken lies, that's deceit. Your tongue mutters wickedness, that's slander and perversity. That's Romans 3 language taken from Isaiah. Anyone innocent? No. You need a savior. That's what Christmas is about. The one who delivers. So the real problem we have is not economic, it's not intellectual. It's not educational. The problem is sin and idolatry. It's the worship and allegiance of our hearts to everything else but our creator. We, we, we bow down to money. If you're a tree hugger, you, you bow down to nature, your career, success, intellect. Well, I'm, I'm too smart for this stuff. No, you're a fool if you reject the Savior. The idol of family. At all costs, keep peace. Right? By the way, Jesus is a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. There's a world of difference between keeping peace and making peace. Just the name of Jesus divides. Amen? Which is to say, here... Simeon, my eyes have seen your God, your salvation in a human body, which is to say Jesus is not a way of salvation. He is the way. God, this is your salvation. I hold in my hands. Bless the name of the Lord. Notice now verse 33. This Simeon. They didn't know Simeon. They don't know him from Adam. He's not a priest. This is a layman. Notice, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Well, they marveled, friends, not because they hadn't heard any of what Simeon had said before. I mean, after all, remember the shepherds in the fields that were met by angels came and gave them a report. And don't forget, they were both met by angels themselves. They've heard this. They're not marveling about the news what they're marveling about is the fact that a stranger came up to them and confirmed all this. This marvelous truth, therefore they marveled. They're, to use the vernacular, they, they are tripping out. Right here. They marvel. God's salvation child, 
who provides peace with God, everlasting life for those who put their faith and trust in this one. How? How? By God's grace, undeserved favor, by way of faith in this one. It means to entrust yourself to this one. Entrust yourself by faith to the grace God provides, which spares us from the just punishment that is due to us. We're rebels and idolaters. And he came to save us from the punishment due for rebellion and idolatry. That's what Christmas is about. Well, in what way does he save us? Okay, we're saved. How does that happen? Notice, through gospel pain. Verse 34 and 35. You know, many people will be in churches today, and they'll say, you know, you know the God you read about in the Old Testament, you know, he was pretty cruel. But this is the God of the New Age. Go in peace. And they never hear the gospel. And they go out scratching their heads. I don't understand any of that. That's because they didn't preach the gospel. The God of the Old Testament is the same God as the New Testament. You think God was wrathful in the Old Testament? There's no greater wrath revealed than in the New Testament when he crushes his son on the cross. God bore, Jesus bore God's wrath on the cross. That's why he was born to save your wretched soul and to save my wretched soul. That's what Christmas is about. Gospel pain. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, Mary, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You think you can hide from God? He knows every intimate thought within the depth of your soul. For people who think they're righteous... I had a neighbor visit me, another neighbor yesterday. This is a different neighbor. <laughs> refused to allow me, when I did her husband's funeral, refused to allow me to play Amazing Grace because her husband was no wretch, she said. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound saved a wretch like me? Oh, no, he was no wretch. He was a good man. You think you can stand before God? Can you imagine if on this screen all of our wicked, iniquitous, perverted thoughts that were going through our head in any given moment were played on on that screen for everyone else to read? Huh? That's how God sees you. That's just one reason we're at war with God. And he's at war with us outside of his precious substitute, Jesus, who's going to come and bear the pain we deserve right here. So notice um, Simeon blesses the name of God in verse 28. He blesses Mary and Joseph in, in verse 34. But notice he doesn't bless the baby. Why? 
Because the baby is the source of every blessing. It's God's blessing. This baby, this child. So Simeon now, he, he takes Mary aside and he says one more thing. He says, this baby promised is a child of destiny. Okay, he, he's appointed to something that, that's very harsh. And th th this isn't merely you know, uh, the foreseeing of something. This is something that was decreed in eternity past. That Christ would come to be crucified. This one who has arrived within time, time and space, he's arrived on time, has been appointed. It's been appointed for him, not only for the rise, but for the fall of many in Israel, he is a sign to be opposed. That is heavy. Now, the word sign here means miracle. And not so much a, a demonstration of power as it is the revelation of divine truth that's arrived on earth. That kind of sign. God in a human body. And, and he's the one that will reveal the thoughts of men's hearts. He will expose what's in man for all people. And Jesus becomes the litmus test for everyone in their declared relationship with God. To reject the son is to reject the father. So don't you dare say that you know God and have God if you reject his son as God has declared him and has sent him and has revealed him to be the only way to be saved from God's wrath. If you reject that, you're rejecting the Father. And First John says you're actually serving the Antichrist. Deny his deity, that he wasn't God in the flesh, you're of the Antichrist. In order for God to atone for our sins, he couldn't be a mere man. He had to be the God-man. This is the reason for Christmas. Gospel pain. There's no neutrality with Jesus, in other words, friends. Listen to Isaiah again, chapter 8, verse 14. And he, the promised one, will become a sanctuary. Oh, there it is. Yeah, a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling. A safe haven and a stumbling block of offense. First, New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2. The stone that the builders rejected, Jesus is that stone, has become the cornerstone. In other words, he holds everything together. All Old Testament prophecies, everything holds together in Christ. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But by the grace of God, you're destined to stumble over the stone who's Christ. And Israel did just that. Okay, but you, you who believe in Christ, you are a, a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of what? Out of darkness and into this marvelous light. The veil's been lifted. You see him for who he is. And you bow in repentance and faith. So Simeon tells Mary of the pain that she's going to experience when she sees her son's ministry rejected. And she'll be there at the cross. 
and a spear will be thrust through her soul, metaphorically, as she sees a Roman soldier thrust a literal sword into his chest cavity and blood and water pour out. Dead. Dead. Ultimately, it was the sword of God's just punishment that is due to me and is due to you that was thrust through the soul of his beloved son on the cross that day as darkness descended upon Jesus. That was hell descending upon him where he was bearing God's wrath in our place, God's salvation. You'll never taste it in him, by faith in him. putting an end to the enmity, providing peace with God. That's the peace of Christmas. The reason that this time of year is so depressing to many people, suicide rates go up, people go into deep doubts of depression, oftentimes, oftentimes the reason is this. They want to grab hold of the idea of lasting peace without confronting the idea of sin that had to be dealt with on the cross in their place. Jesus, who was condemned. So the more they think about it, the sting and the offense of the gospel, when they hear it, they fight it. They, they resist it all to their own peril. Be glad you're saved. You'd be resisting it just as well. This is where anxiety sets in, depression, defeat, and disgust of the cross, disgust of the death of Christ, disgust of his resurrection, and disgust in the message that he's the only way for you to be saved from this wrath and provide per- vertical peace. He's the only one, the only way. They want horizontal peace. not the peace they need. So I ask, to close, what kind of faith does it take to recognize God's salvation and not miss him? What kind of faith does it take to recognize God's salvation and not miss him and not miss the gospel? It's quite simply this. It's understanding and believing that God is faithful to his promises and all the fulfillment of those promises are found in one person, the God-man, Jesus Christ. That faith. And you'll have peace with God. And you'll die in peace and you'll enter into his presence of eternal peace. See, if you're here today trusting in him, then he has appointed you for rising. Appointed for for your rising, and you will share in his glory forever. And it makes our celebration tomorrow that much more special. If, however, you're not trusting in him today, it may be, it may be, I hope not, but it may be that you're appointed, or he is appointed, rather, for your falling. I hope not. The only way he will arise as the son of righteousness for you is for you to repent and entrust yourself to him as he's presented in the gospel. You'll have peace with God. You'll never suffer. You'll never pay for one sin. He will raise you up.
spirit and truth. Amen? This is the only way sinners get past the gates of heaven is by wearing the righteous robes of another. His. Your, your, your robes are stained. Sin stained. You know, these people I know who talk about their good deeds, you know what the Bible says about those good deeds in and of themselves? They're nothing but filthy used rags. We need these robes. We need to be cloaked in the robes of Jesus Christ to have peace with God and to be raised up spiritually and to be assured that the day we take our last breath, we will rise and be brought into his presence. We will see him as he is, and when we see him as he is, we will be like him, for he is God's salvation. Amen? That's what Christmas is about. Merry Christmas. Father, we thank you for the precious, gracious gift of your son that you have shown to us your mercy. Thank you for this narrative. We thank you that he is the Christ, he is Emmanuel, God with us, whom you have sent into this world as the only Savior, the Savior we need, and all the Savior that we need. Help us in our unbelief Increase our faith and bring to life today those who don't believe, I pray, according to your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.